Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. Hello, this is Jan Engmeyer. This installment of the Temple Forum features a conversation with Don Arujo Hawkins, the news editor for the prestigious Christian Century Magazine. If you're not familiar, the Christian Century started towards the end of the 19th century and is an ecumenical publication based in Chicago, committed to thinking critically and living faithfully in our time. Dawn is a journalist based in Kansas City, Missouri, and was named Best In-Depth News Writer by the American Academy of Religion and is on the board of the Religion News Foundation. She's a proud graduate of the journalism program at Ball State University and also earned a master's degree in urban and intercultural religious studies. Dawn, welcome to the Temple Forum. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'd like you to tell us about yourself and your journey. How did you become a religion writer? And why do you call religion reporting the very best beat in journalism? <laughs> what interests you about the topic and why did you wanna write for the Christian century? Yeah, well, I have wanted to be a journalist for almost as long as I can remember. I initially wanted to go into fashion journalism which is what I was studying at first Michigan State. And then I transferred to Ball State when I was like a sophomore and a half for some personal reasons, wanted to be closer to my family. Um, I'm from Indiana, Hoosier pride. Um, and it was really at Ball State that I wrote my first ever religion story. And it was really inspired by the campus at Ball State. It is, it's a public school, it's not very large, I think the student the student body when I was there was about 20,000. But there were so many religious organizations for students, like campus organizations. And I was just really, having transferred from Michigan State, I was really struck by this. And so I started doing some research and I found out that there were like three times as many religious organizations for students at Ball State than there were at Indiana University, which is a much larger school. And it was, I think as I started to talk to people about their religious beliefs, and I define religious beliefs as the way people view the universe and their place in it. So even if you're an atheist, and I don't mean to condescendingly group you into a religious group if you're an atheist, but how anyone views the universe, the cosmos and their place in it is just endlessly fascinating to me. And so I decided that I still really like fashion, but that was not what I wanted to do with my life. And that I really wanted to spend my time talking to people about this, this idea of the cosmos and their role in the cosmos. And so I switched um, my focus from fashion to religion and I really have not looked back. It is, as you say, I, I, I tell people all the time, it is the best beat in religion. I sometimes cannot believe that I get paid to ask people these questions and to talk to them about these things that I find endlessly fascinating. I would want to talk to people about anyway. Um, and why am I at the Christian Century? Um, coming up on the second anniversary of my time at the Century. And wow, I think it is just a magazine in both its content and also the staff that is practices a progressive Christianity that is deeply intellectual and also deeply incarnational. 
And that just really suits me personally. That's the type of people that I would like to align myself with. I learned so much in our staff meetings. Like it's enjoyable to me to go to many Zoom meetings because um, I just learn so much and it's just incredibly fulfilling. And it has a very rich history, a lot of notable contributors over the years. Indeed, yes. Yes, so it's, yeah. So the Christian Century is an ecumenical magazine, which means you cover broad topics across the religious spectrum. How do you get up to speed on so many different traditions? Yeah, um, well, I will say, first of all, one of my kind of soapbox issues as a religion reporter is that we tend as a culture, as a nation, and I think sometimes even religion journalists who in their heart of hearts know better, um, we tend to conflate religion with white evangelical Christianity. Like when you say religious people, um, just kind of out in the world, there is a very um, limited view of what, what you're actually talking about. So one of my soapbox issues is that religion does not mean just Christianity and it does not just mean white evangelical Christianity. Um, so you to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you will often see um, in the news section and throughout the Christian century that um, it's not, we're not just talking about Christianity. I make a point when I'm putting together the news section um, to really think about if you are someone who wants to be conversant in religion, what are the stories you might need to know? And there is obviously kind of a focus on Christianity because it's the Christian century, but I regularly um, will run or write stories from other religious groups. Now, how, how I stay on top of that, um, I think is just by listening. I have a very highly intentional, highly cultivated um, Twitter list. The people that I'm following um, the organizations that I'm following is to help me stay abreast of my growing edges, what I don't know. Um, and I also think just approaching my work with humility as a journalist, it's not my job to pontificate um, or to have all the answers. My job is to research and to synthesize information that is helpful and I hope engaging. So I think just always knowing that I don't have the answer, not going into a story with an agenda, which no journalist should be doing, but uh, especially when it comes to religion, just doing the research and synthesizing the information and knowing that I'm not the expert, I am just putting it together, hopefully in a way that people will respond to. I think that's a really important point um, and an important approach to journalism where I think in the broader world today, we have a lot of journalists who are more opinionated than uh, traditional journalism roles. So you sound like you are a, a more of a, a, a traditional journalism approach. Um, yeah, listening. a little. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think too, a certain, I do get some pushback from some older journalists. Uh, we just had a question in the Facebook group for the Religion News Association, which is the professional group for religion journalists. And NPR recently relaxed its standards for journalists saying that if it's an issue of human dignity, they are now going to allow their reporters to go to protests and demonstrations. And before it was like, if you're a journalist, you publicly have no opinion. And I, I do think that, well, my response to this kind of conversation <laughs> in the Facebook group was that journalists are people too. And I think objectivity is a little bit of a scam. Um, and I, what I mean by that is you shouldn't have 
when you're doing your, when you're writing and you're reporting, you shouldn't have an end goal. But I do think, and this is a bit of a uh, movement away from even what I was taught in college about 10 years ago. I do think journalists have a obligation to tell the truth and to call things out. Like, I think if something is racist, it is a journalist's job to call it racist, not to try to couch it in some other like language, some euphemism. Um, that's our job. And I, I think that makes some older journalists a little bit nervous. Um, there is a group, and I'm not super familiar with it yet, but it's on my list of things to look into called movement journalism, which is really the role that journalists play in social justice. And, you know, before it was like, you, you can't, as a journalist, you cannot do any of that. You can't engage in any of that. And I, I think that often when you are choosing to not engage, you are upholding the status quo and that is in and of itself a position. So I'm, I, I think there are growing people um, coming along with me on that. I'm not alone in that, but sometimes people freak out when I say that. <laughs> well, it kind of leads me into my next question, which um, is about social justice. Um, what do you think the big social justice issues are that cut across all the denominational or religious dogma belief lines? What, what are you seeing? You know, I, I think in our really polarized culture right now, there really is not a whole, and I, it pains me to say that. I, I think you do see some rallying around pre-share and environmental issues across um, progressive and conservative people of faith, not just Christianity, I think across the board, um, you do see some rallying around that. Um, but at the same time, I just wrote this story about green burials. And one of the women that I interviewed, she um, is at a, she's a conservative Christian at a conservative Christian um, seminary. And she's an advocate. She teaches about green burial, but she told me in our interview that when she's teaching other conservative Christians about green burial, she doesn't use the word green. She says natural burial because green is such an off-putting word to some of the conservative Christians in her group that they won't even listen to what she has to say if she uses it. And it was so striking to me, this idea that um, when she doesn't use the word green, she can talk about this kind of radically countercultural burial practice and that these people will go along with it. They're fully on board as long as she just doesn't use the word green because they see it as kind of a political word. And so I think that just kind of goes to show how deeply, deeply polarized our country has become, which is a little alarming. Um, but you see, I mean, there's some consensus around that. Um, and I also think younger people of all faiths seem to be much more in line with um, protecting LGBTQ rights. Um, and that's kind of a shift generationally. Um, they're still pretty polarized. But we're making progress, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Inc incremental progress, yeah. That's right, we'll, we'll take incremental progress. Um, it's better than uh, standing still, right? Or yeah, going backwards. Sure. sure. Um, so what other trends are you seeing? Um, in your reporting. Uh, we often worry about younger people, uh, millennials and young adults and young families uh, not being engaged in the traditional church. Do you think that's true? Are you seeing that? Or does it, that just depend on where uh, somebody's located or what the particular church is offering? 
um, kind of, you know, look into your crystal ball. What are you seeing (laughs) in your reporting? Yeah. um, Well, I think it's definitely true that the nuns, you know, NES, the religiously unaffiliated are the fastest growing religious group in the country. That is true. It's about a quarter of all um, adults in the U.S. right now. Um, And it's largely being driven by millennials. So the young people and all data suggests that Gen Z, the next generational cohort is probably even less involved in institutional religion. So I think that's that's the trajectory. Um, But I think what is often missing in the headlines about this is that it's much more nuanced. It's like millennials are not becoming atheists or agnostics in droves um, of the people who self-identify as religiously unaffiliated. 68% say they still believe in God and a smaller, but I think not insignificant number, about 20, 21% say they have a daily prayer practice. So not just when they're stressed, not just when they're depressed, like daily. And so I think what that really indicates is that it's not that young people are leaving I guess religion writ large, they are leaving the institutions that they feel have failed them in some way. And I think, you know, a lot of of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of congregations, the the questions that they ask are how do we then bring them back? (laughs) What do we do to um, make ourselves more appealing to them? And I, I think based on my reporting and the reporting that I've seen from my colleagues is that that is, maybe not the right question, because this distrust of institutions, at least among millennials when they've been polled, runs really deep. It's not just the church, it is banks, it is college, it is um, corporate America, it's politicians, it's the news. And they, when asked, are not looking for a new church home. It's not that, oh, this tradition that I grew up in doesn't fit my values anymore. They're not looking for anything else. It is institutions writ large are kind of the problem. So I I think to borrow some contemplative language here, I I think we might really be looking at a phase transition that might be very painful (laughs) for some people. I, I, I think the way we do church in maybe 50 years might not look anything like it looks now. I think we might possibly be looking at the end of denominationalism, maybe, and I think that will be very scary for some people, but, um, and I I am not saying, I don't have the answers. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't really have anything to offer there, but uh, I, you know, I recently interviewed a Black Jewish activist, and I asked her, what gives you hope for the future? And she was really excited about young people, and she said how inclusive they are, and how they just reject binaries of all sorts. And I think if that is the trajectory of, of the country, of the adults that are you know, like up and coming, um, the people that are growing up, that church just might look like nothing that we've, that we've known in our lives. Um, and that might be scary. But is it also a call for people to be who they say that they are and to actually minister, quote unquote, to others? Indeed, yeah, I, I think so. I, 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 if there's anything that millennials and Gen Z to probably an even larger extent really 
admire and hold in high esteem its authenticity. And so I think um, if congregations can be who they are and accept people as they are, um, there's, there's some room for, for some relationship building and some bridge building there. So what kind of stories are you looking for or hoping to report on in the uh, coming year or so? Yeah, well, you know, I had three big story goals for 2021. I wanted to write about green burials, which I said I already have done. That was in the July 14th issue of the Christian Century. You can find it online. I also wanted to write about the Mormon women who have become famous as um, social media influencers, particularly mothers. And I just finished writing that. I'm not sure when it will be published, but I just finished it. So I was really excited about that. And then my third big goal for 2021 was to write about period poverty in the United States. And I guess I will take this opportunity to issue a plea. Uh, all the stories that I have found about churches or people of faith trying to tackle period poverty have been in the United Kingdom, particularly Scotland, and in a couple of African countries. I have not found anything in the US. So if you know someone who was dealing with period poverty in the United States, um, email and is open. And tell us what you mean by period poverty. Oh, by period poverty, I mean, well, first of all, um, period products are taxed, which is, you know, interesting. That something that is kind of universal for some, for many so people. We're talking menstruation. Men, um, yes, yes, menstruation. Products, yeah, yes. Products, yeah, which are taxed um, and often unaffordable. Um, how we, how people provide those products safely, I think safely, as well as just providing them to the people who need them, to menstruating people. Um, and a, a lot of churches like I said, in the UK and in African countries are really doing well with that. I've seen a few examples of church food pantries that are accepting menstruation products. Um, but they're not really the drivers. They are more of the middlemen. But I'm looking for people of faith who are addressing this from a faith-based perspective in the US. If that is you or someone that you know, email me. My Twitter DMs are open. Please let me know because I'm looking for somebody. Interesting. How about for 2022? Oh gosh! That far ahead. I've also been trying to work on a story about um, black maternal health, and that really has I've had a hard time finding religious sources for that as well. There are plenty of people in secular spheres who are working on black maternal health, not finding a whole lot of church groups. So again, if you know someone, hit me up. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Oh, subscribe to Christian Century. If you go to christiancentury.org, it's in big orange font at the top of the page. I would say you can't miss it, but I guess you could. Um, but really, it's, I've, like I said, I've been here for two years. It is a delightful group of people, super smart, who put this magazine together. And I'm always just blown away by the content that we have. And I don't just say that because I work there. I work there because that's true. <laughs> Thank you, Don Rujo Hawkins. Enjoyed hearing your stories. Thanks so much. You can read Dawn's work at the Christian Century Magazine. Check it out. I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. 
You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.